0: Hello and welcome to our podcast, the next in our series on sanctions and related market conduct and financial crime issues. My name is Catherine Pluck and I'm a senior knowledge lawyer here at Norton Rose Fulbright. Today I'm joined by David Harris and Katie Stephen, co-heads of our contentious financial services group in London, to discuss their sanctions and governance insights from recent work, as well as some practical takeaways for firms from these. David, to start with, what issues are we seeing firms facing when applying the recent Russian sanctions that have been brought in?
1: Yes, Catherine, and thank you for that introduction. Um, So I should say at the outset that the clients we are working working with on on these issues are from all areas of the uh, financial services sector. There's this continual wave of sanctions regulations that we are seeing are really impacting the entire market. And while the sanctions that hit the headlines are sort of very much focused on a joint approach by the EU, UK, US um, and other countries, when you actually look at the detail, there are a number of key differences in the scope of designations of individuals and entities, and also the approach to the way in which the prohibitions are drafted, which we're really seeing sort of a patchwork approach uh, that, that, that is being applied to the various wind down periods, the general licenses and, and, and guidance from the authorities, uh, or in some in some cases, uh, no guidance at all, uh, which is causing even more confusion. So what we have been doing um, is a lot of preparing detailed analysis for our clients. So comparing the newly implemented sanctions by the EU, UK and US. And to take just one example in relation to the various Russian financial uh, institutions, which are now subject to a varying degree uh, of, of sanctions, we're finding that some institutions may be subject to an asset freeze under one regime and subject to the less restrictive uh, sectoral sanctions or, or, or not listed at all um, other under other regimes. Um, so, for example, you may have a bank who is designated as a, an SDN or an asset freeze target in the US, which is the strictest uh, of the prohibitions. Uh, they may be not listed in the EU, uh, but on the prohibited list for SWIFT services, uh, and then not designated or listed in the UK at all. Um, so, this patchwork approach, which I referred to earlier, is making it very difficult uh, for regulated firms. To map their potential exposure and uh, and really address their sanctions risks uh, across multiple jurisdictions.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting, David. And I think on the governance side, in terms of what steps firms and senior management can be taking now, it really emphasises the need to have a robust governance framework in place and ensuring that relevant individuals from the different jurisdictions are involved in decision making on the approach in respect to particular clients, and that there's a, an agreed coordinated and consistent approach. And firms also need to be harnessing internal resources and seeking external advice where appropriate, as keeping up with all the various updates and requirements across a number of jurisdictions isn't easy. What issues of interpretation are arising in relation to the sanctions?
1: Thanks, Katie. Yeah, so look, we're seeing a lot of confusion on the interpretation of the specific provisions which have been introduced. and. In many cases, the drafting is not specifically aligned with the regulated activities that that fall within them. And so it's not really helpful in in determining exactly what activities uh, or services are prohibited. But in addition to those very detailed issues, uh, the designation of um, individuals, so for example, the oligarch designations uh, who are shareholders um, and also hold uh, executive positions at major Russian financial institutions and corporations It's really creating a lot of uncertainty around whether the non-designated financial institutions or corporates are ultimately owned or controlled uh, by those uh, individuals who are now designated and and, and subject in many cases to the the strictest of uh, asset freeze restrictions. And this is made even more complicated where company ownership uh, and information on ultimate control uh, is is quite difficult to establish. Um, similar issues have arisen with the introduction of broadly worded sanctions prohibitions against the government of Russia, uh, which, for example, may include any ministry of the Russian Federation, uh, any entities owned or controlled by them, uh, and then even more difficult to de- to determine uh, entities acting at the direction uh, or on behalf of the government. So, understanding who may have control to satisfy the control test, or or ultimately directing entities that a designated person does not technically own or control uh, is extremely complex and and often impossible to confirm uh, with sufficient um, certainty. Uh, One other point just to touch on when we're we're, we're looking at interpretation and the the difficulties around that, Um, there's also the more well-known capital market restrictions or, or sectoral sanctions, as I mentioned earlier, um, that have been in place uh, since 2014 um, when the Russia sanctions were uh, initially brought in. Um, and they're not uh, not only the only uh, sort of major concern now. There's also this overlay uh, of Russian financial institutions or, or financial services firms um, who are subject to the sectoral sanctions, but which now have also been designated as asset freeze targets or SDNs. So, for example, uh, here in the UK, we are now looking at instances where it might be permissible under the sectoral sanctions to deal in certain uh, securities uh, of of the the entities targeted, um, and that sort of that may be subject to other other criteria. Um, but it's not permissible where that sectoral sanctions target is also listed uh, under the UK asset freeze prohibitions. Uh, now, importantly, this has resulted in immediate restrictions in secondary market trading that were not an issue previously. And so absent any sort of wind down period or, or general license which um, may be applicable, regulated firms uh, could now be left holding these securities in a frozen account um, for a period that the, the, the sanctions r- remain in place. And this really is, a, I think, a, a, a different area of the market uh, which is now exposed to this sanctions risk.
2: Yes, certainly not straightforward, David, and and often in situations like this when events are moving fast and individuals are having to make decisions quickly without necessarily having the benefit of the full picture, it's all the more important to make records as you go along of the factors that were taken into account and the basis on which certain decisions were made, either by sending emails or having a basic timeline that is updated regularly. If questions are going to be asked later about the steps taken, often one of the hardest things is for everyone to remember the sequence of events and what information was available at certain points. And so having contemporaneous records is invaluable. And I think firms also need to be alive to risks other than non compliance with sanctions. So, for example, where markets are particularly volatile, there can be an increased risk of market abuse. So, it's worth taking steps to ensure that any transaction monitoring systems are (laughs) appropriately calibrated and that proper consideration is given to the need to report any suspicious transactions. And firms may also have reputational concerns around involvement with certain entities, even where there isn't a formal sanctions breach. And we've seen, for example, a number of companies take steps to limit their involvement with Russian businesses. David, what other issues have you seen firms experiencing with regards to the sanctions?
1: yeah I think one other area just to just to uh, briefly touch on, we've seen some instances with clients where um, reviewing the new restrictions um, and assisting with you know, the risk assessments across uh, their Russia exposure. It's actually brought up issues with how the business has been complying with prior sanctions regimes. Um I mentioned the the Russia sanctions which have been in place since since two thousand and fourteen. Um, these sorts of uh, issues may lead to a need to undertake reviews of certain clients or transactions uh, and making sure any subsequent uh, internal investigations are properly structured uh, and, and run from the outset um, as soon as these, these issues do arise.
2: Yes, agreed. I think regulators are certainly going to expect firms and senior managers to grasp those nettles and look into any historic issues so that relevant lessons can be learned and enhancements made to procedures if if that's necessary. And if you're going to conduct a review, there's quite a few things uh, to think about in terms of considering the governance and the best approach to the review. And it's worth also thinking about the application of legal privilege and about having an internal working group, avoiding conflicts, putting together terms of reference so you're clear on what the review is looking at and what the output's going to be. And remember also that at some stage, the decisions that are being made now might also become the subject of a look back exercise or even an investigation So it's worth thinking about how you'd evidence the steps that are being taken to respond to the changing sanctions requirements. And again, making sure that you have good practices around things like record keeping. David, what sort of issues are we seeing in relation to individuals?
1: Yeah, and this is is a really important question. I, I think in addition to the obligation of Regulated firms to comply with applicable sanctions regimes, uh, it is worth keeping in mind that individuals, so, for example, senior managers must comply with sanctions regimes in their home jurisdiction, wherever they are located. So, for example, EU, UK and and US nationals are still required to comply with their respective sanctions regimes, uh, regardless of location. So as a practical measure, uh, the relevant individuals may need to recuse themselves uh, and not be involved in any board discussions, decision-making, signing of documents, those sorts of uh, processes. Um, And uh, particularly in in circumstances where that could, or having some involvement at that level, uh, could expose them to individual legal liability. So uh, there may be a, a transaction being undertaken, which is permitted for an EU bank to undertake, but not that UK individual, and that comes back to the patchwork approach of the of the implementation of the sanctions that I that I referred to earlier, and needing to to navigate through those differences, which needs to be done at the at the uh, individual level as well as as well as the firm level, and and I think this could become increasingly difficult to navigate as the EU, UK, and US sanctions expand in different ways uh, and are only becoming more complex.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And, and also it's worth senior managers bearing in mind the wider regulatory risks and making sure they're taking reasonable steps to avoid breaches by their firms. So, so things for them to think about would include making sure they're sufficiently informed and that any delegation is appropriate, ensuring an appropriate level of debate and challenge in internal committees and meetings and that that is all appropriately recorded taking collective responsibility rather than relying on one particular person and ensuring that relevant responsibilities are clearly allocated and recorded. Sometimes it can help to have a decision or action tracker and make sure the team is disciplined about working through that and updating it and being proactive in terms of looking into any issues, including
0: taking advice where that's appropriate. Thank you Katie for those practical takeaways and also David for discussing some of the lessons learned from your recent experience advising on sanctions related issues. Um, As David and Katie have highlighted this is a fast moving area and as a result we'll be closely following developments so do keep an eye out for future podcasts and on our Regulation Tomorrow blog for updates. In the meantime thank you for listening.